Welcome to the Hot Potato Podcast, a series that grabs the burning topic of climate change with both hands and asks how regenerative farming can help solve the problem. We all know farming systems need to change to feed the 8 billion people on this planet without actually destroying the planet. But how? Here on the Hot Potato Pod, we're starting with, who'd have thought it, the humble spud. As the third most consumed crop globally, potatoes play a vital role in how land is farmed and how people are fed. This podcast is brought to you by McCain Foods. With one in four fries eaten around the world made by McCain Foods, together with their farmers, they know a thing or two about growing potatoes. They are working with growers to drive regenerative agriculture practices at farms across the globe and have set the ambitious goal for 100% of their potato crop to be produced on regenerative farms by 2030. So keep your ears peeled as together we chip away at the hottest challenge facing food producers today. A couple of weeks ago, I was in the Big Apple, New York. Not only did I get one of those famous slices of pizza, but I also had the opportunity to host a panel at New York Climate Week. I was joined by three really interesting guests to talk about food security. The UN has predicted that by 2050, the global population will surpass 9 billion. Global food production needs to increase significantly in order to feed us all. But the climate crisis has made our food system more vulnerable than ever. Already we are seeing extreme weather events, destroying harvests, and the hunger and political instability that comes from that. To keep everyone fed in this changing climate, and to make sure food production can be part of slowing and even reversing temperature rise, we have to produce food in a different way. So without further ado, let me take you back to New York Climate Week. It's a real privilege to introduce Charlie Angelikos, VP of Global External Affairs and Sustainability at McCain Foods, Grant Reed, Chair of the Sustainable Markets Initiative Agribusiness Task Force, Private Equity Partner, Board Member of Marriott International and Vanguard, and former CEO Mars Incorporated. And finally, Susan Ainsworth, Agrologist and General Manager of the Keystone Potato Producers Association. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. Got a holler. <laughs> uh, let's start with potatoes. Charlie, you're here with McCain Foods. I'm familiar with McCain from the occasional treat on a Friday night, oven chips, but actually potatoes are the third most consumed crop globally. Tell us why it's so important this nutritious food is farmed in a more sustainable way and how you're going about it. Yeah, um, thank you very much. Climate change is a burning platform that's having a very direct impact on our global food supply. Um, as a business at McCain, we probably would have had a catastrophic drought or climate event once every 10 years, and we were never able to predict that it just happened. But in more recent years, we've had at least one climate activity, whether it was a drought, floods, uh, and whatnot in different growing regions around the world. That has a devastating impact, not just on our business, but on our farming community as well, that we rely on, but also relies on farming as well to make uh, their living. So what we did as a company was we took a step back. We commissioned a climate study that looked at variability patterns and what climate patterns would look like by 2050. And the results were startling for us. So that really set the ground for us to say, we need to move quickly 
in order to secure our supply, the viability of our crop, and to help our farming partners so that we can have a sustainable future, not just as a company, but as an agricultural system. So what we did was we set a goal out that 100% of our acreage would be regeneratively farmed by 2030. So working with our farming partners, we're on a slow journey to get there. We think we can, but it's absolutely imperative based on what we've been seeing in the market and what we're hearing from our farming partners as well. So it's not a choice, really, if you don't change how you farm, if you don't implement practices like regenerative farming, then perhaps there won't be any harvests. It's that serious. Absolutely. As a company, we built our company in partnership with farmers. And this is really about mitigating climate change and not just that, uh, ensuring the viability of the family farm for years to come as well. Grant, you'll be familiar with this story, the risk of climate change in your role as CAO of Mars. But now I believe you're helping the Sustainable Markets Initiative to help other businesses or all businesses respond to climate change and produce food in a more sustainable way. Can you tell us a bit more about how that came about and what you're doing? Uh, Sure. So uh, thank you for joining us today. First of all, you're probably thinking, why is the former CEO of Mars who makes M&M, Snickers, Pedigree, Royal Canaan, Ben's original, why, why is he involved in regenerative farming? It's a great question. Uh, we'll answer that later. Now, <laughs> the answer is uh, two reasons. One is Mars is effectively an agricultural company, taking agricultural products and turning it into great consumer products. That's reason one. And it's clear the global supply chain is broken. And without that, we can't provide the products to our consumers that they really need. So that's answer one. Second is... We have five principles, one of which is mutuality. And there's nothing more mutual about putting something back into the ecosystem in which you operate, nurturing the soil to make sure that farmers and consumers have food products and quality of life and soil and water for their time as well. So that's, that's the basic reason. Um, I'm not a regenerative farming expert, but I do get things done. And that's really why I was asked by then His Royal Highness, and uh, now His Majesty the King, to chair the Regenerative Agricultural Task Force for the Sustainable Markets Initiatives. And this is critical that we solve this. About 30% of the greenhouse gas emissions comes from agriculture. We know that regenerative agriculture works. It has to play a part in the solution if we're going to get anywhere near the one and a half degrees. And there's over a billion people working in agriculture, and never mind the secondary benefits of social and environmental. So it's absolutely critical. There's a tremendous amount to be done. You know, I know Mars are committed, I know McCain's committed, and every one of my task force from Pepsi all the way through are committed to making that change. So a little bit like Charlie was saying, it's not a choice. It's about weathering the risks of climate change. And we'll come back to later about how you're proving you're really going to do that. Um, Susan, it's not just about big business. The people who feed us, the people on the ground, the farmers are key to this. You're working with farmers on a daily basis. How do they feel about their role in providing enough food to feed upwards of 9 billion people? Thanks, Louise. Yeah, obviously, the food supply chain begins on the farm. And so I do think that farmers feel the pressure to feed an increasing population. I just think it's important that we frame it correctly. I think if we look back at the uh, post-war era and the Green Revolution, and you know it had very benevolent intentions, and some of the things that came out of that obviously helped to feed 
millions of people earned Norman Borlaug the uh, Nobel Peace Prize, uh, rightfully so. But also there was some, you know, maybe unintended negative impacts of that. So certainly led to the commodification of the food supply chain and built a type of infrastructure that really favors large-scale monocropping systems that give growers or farmers a diminishing portion of the retail price of the commodity that they're producing. So I think going forward with the pressure that growers are under to produce additional quantity of food, we just need to go about it in the right way. I'm from a farming family myself, and I know that farmers do feel under pressure, like they might have been attacked in the past for the environmental consequences of farming. But I guess the hope is that regenerative farming can give farmers an answer, a way for them to address these problems. So let's talk more about that. Um, All our food comes from the soil. That's what regenerative agriculture is all about. It's clearly part of the solution. And I've been reading a lot about it recently, Grant, and it gets quite excited. I'm a bit of a geek (laughs) about soil. Um, If regen agriculture is such an obvious answer, why are adoption rates so low? It's a good question. So one of the things I'd refer you to is we did, a, I think, a, a report with the Sustainable Markets Initiative on what's getting in the way of regenerative farming. So let me start with farmers are dedicated to the soil. They're dedicated to their farms. They really care about what they're doing. And, you know, they're business people and they want to deliver. And it's very low margin. So a farm, being a farmer is a tough, tough life. And they do what makes you know, the, the incentives are based on. So if you look at the incentives, as you, I think you, you called it exactly right. It's, it's really geared to yield, and it's not geared to nurturing the soil. If Perry Bellagardi was here, who's the chief of indigenous people in Canada, and, and he would say it's about nurturing the soil and, and taking care of the soil, and the soil will take care of you, right? So there's many definitions of regenerative agriculture, but at the end of the day, it's about making sure the soil quality is there, and and the water retention and other things. So why is it not happening if it's so obvious? Well, because the whole economic system is broken. We're paying farmers for the wrong things. So there's really, what we found is there's a number of barriers. First is common metrics. How do you measure against biodiversity? How do you measure against the, the quality of the soil? Because then you can pay farmers and actually also when they sequester carbon, you've got a secondary source of income for them. So first of all, starts with the metrics. If you don't have metrics, how can you get what you measure if you can't measure it? That sounds pretty obvious, but it's, it's quite a trick. The second thing is once you've, you've measured it is getting the value chain to share the load. This is going to be much easier if we all pull the wagon instead of looking at the farmer and say, good luck, or looking at Mars or other McCain or others and saying, well, can't you just subsidize it? the economic model has to work for everybody in that chain. And then the biggest barrier that we found is the transition. There's a dip, you know, a cost dip or a yield curve dip, uh, which takes about three years to fill. And the farmer has no way of paying for that. So what we've done now, we've gone from a vertical chain of everybody in the the supply chain. We had a fantastic meeting uh, sponsored by His Majesty the King, where we actually had insurance companies there, we had banks there, we had asset managers there, and we had philanthropy there, including the Rockefeller IKEA, to say, how do we solve this together? We've got to collaborate if we're going to get this done. So, you know, our mission is to deliver that. We can't do it alone. 
and we need all of those partners to do it. And you know, we're really getting a lot of drive behind it now. It's interesting you talk about big business driving it, but you know, as Susan referred to, it's big business that's blamed for the mess we're in. So how can people trust you now? Yeah, I mean, I'm not really, you know, apportioning blame won't get us to one and a half degrees. If If it did, I'll take all the blame you want to give me, right? But it's really about the solutions. And I don't think there's any one person in this chain. We've geared the whole economic system at a time when we didn't know any better, not just Mars or farmers or governments, but you could say government policy is to blame. Okay, we can, but it doesn't really help. You can say farmers are to blame for not farming regeneratively, but it really doesn't help. So, you know, my view is we can either blame each other or we can work with each other to solve the problem. And I'm, I'm a believer, you know, solve the problem. Let's take it forward. It can be done. It's clear. And if you want to blame me along the way, have at it. <laughs> Fighting talk from a Scotsman. <laughs> Charlie, tell us how the Cane Foods are doing that, how you're creating metrics and uh, proving that regenerative agriculture is meaningful. Absolutely. Um, we've developed a regenerative agriculture framework, and it really started for us by starting with the farmer and making it very farmer-centric. Um, we are fortunate as a company that we have a direct relationship with our farmers on the ground. We don't deal with brokers, so we have that relationship on a day-to-day basis. So it's really by listening that we were able to develop a regenerative agriculture code that we think is practical and tangible and will be able to be implemented. From there, we pressure-tested it with NGOs and growers as well. But we didn't just stop with a piece of paper. We've also committed to three, what we call three farms of the future. We have one in Canada, in New Brunswick, where our company was founded. That's in year three of their seasons. Uh, And we just launched one in South Africa as well. And what these farms are, they're commercial farms run by McCain, where we are trialing and testing different regenerative agriculture metrics along the way. And the theory is, in Canada, it would be one growing season. So practices from Canada can be exported to other parts of the world that have one growing season. Uh, But in South Africa, as an example, best practices are being gleaned with our farmers in Latin America as well. So we think by doing this, we are able to get to a much better place. We're going to make mistakes along the way, but that's great because we make the mistakes. We'll learn from them and we can transport that knowledge to our growers as well. Um, It's early days, but I can say that in the farm in Canada, we are down 17% in uh, fertilizer use which is great to see, and the yields have maintained with that happening. Um, We've reduced soil erosion, and nutrients are staying in the soil on a much uh, bigger level. So at the end of the day, our goal through these farms is to continue to work with our farmers to implement these best practices so that together we can get to a much better place. We know this is not a one-size-fits-all solution. We have farmers around the world. Each of them have very different worries. Each of them have very different business plans. And it's important that we keep listening along the way and sharing those practices so that we can be on this successful journey together. And I should say that there's lots of different definitions of regenerative agriculture, but an important one that McCain uses to reduce chemical input. You mentioned that 17% figure, which sounds great. How are you measuring that? How are you proving that you're doing that in the long term? Um, There are measurements that are ongoing at the farm level and at the farm of the future we're also testing different things like sea and spray technology uh, where we use technology to see when the pesticide needs to be sprayed and we know that that's going to make a large impact as well and different things we're doing from a soil perspective is we have traffic controlled tillage now so that we're not continuing to till 
all over the farm, and we know exactly where we're telling from that perspective as well. I've loved hearing about that, like robots that zap just the insects they need <laughs> rather right. than across the whole Absolutely. whole field. Um, and it's interesting to hear about how you're doing the experiments on the farms of the future so that farmers can have confidence to do that. But Susan, tell us how the farmers feel about this. What are they actually able to do on the ground right now? As was mentioned, regenerative agriculture is very regional specific. And so I think having the farms of the future and the hubs that are associated with them really do help to de-risk some of the practices and address that dip you were talking about. And they'll absolutely lead to the uptake of greater illustration of how to improve soil health, how to improve biodiversity on the farm. The only thing that I think is important to recognize on the farm level is that it can be regional specific down to a very micro level. So what might work for one farm may not work for his neighbor 10 miles down the road. For example, if they're implementing a cover crop, they may need irrigation in order to get that established. And if they don't have access to irrigation in the year outside of their potato rotation, they may or may not be able to get a cover crop established or a shoulder season crop established. And so those are things that are difficult to address. Other barriers that I think um, are important that maybe don't get thought about often enough that are maybe a little bit more subjective are farmers are needing to take a shift away from the status quo. So a lot of these growers really base their reputation on having really neat and tidy rows of high yielding crops. And uh, related to that is the issue of land access. A lot of farmers are farming rented land that they don't necessarily have uh, decision-making ability for how that land is stewarded long-term. If they were to try and implement anything, it could potentially jeopardize you know, their ability to rent that land in the future because, again, other growers that are renting those land to the, to the growers don't want to see fields that may be a little bit extra weedy or have some companion crops on them that don't maybe look like the neighbor down the road. So um, something else to keep in mind, a lot of these farms, although they are large, are still family farms and they're multi-generational family farms. If the younger generation that's coming on wants to implement a change in practice, it can be viewed as a bit of a criticism toward either their father or their grandfather who maybe implemented some practices that could be viewed as being detrimental to the soil. So those are things that I think are barriers to the adoption that may be slowing some of it that, um, again, are a little less scientific, maybe a little bit more subjective. Again, I come from a farm family and I know that it's difficult to make suggestions to people who are working very, very hard and don't have a lot of time. How can farmers be more confident in implementing regenerative practices? Oh boy, that's a great question. I think it takes a lot of vulnerability and um, certainly the, the economics play a very, very important role. And if they're allowed or able to experiment, learn from you know, some of the farms of the future in, this, in the hubs and so on, that certainly helps. But as far as you know, addressing some of these things, I think learning from one another, peeking over the fence, seeing yeah. how it's being done and seeing others have success and demonstrating that. Yeah, so instead of um, comparing in a negative way, seeing it in a positive way. Um, but it shouldn't just be about the farmers, right? We're talking about cross-collaboration. Grant, it can be really expensive. You know, you might need new equipment to shift to regenerative agriculture. How can big businesses help? How can they take on the risk? Because frankly, they're the ones making the money. Shouldn't they take on the risk? You know, I think there's a bit of a fallacy that, you know, 
that the CEOs are out there trying to maximize their own position, they're, they're really not. They, they, they understand what needs to be done and are, are trying to the best of their ability, to a large extent, certainly the ones involved in the SMI. So I think that's good. And the other thing I just build on what Charlie was saying about the, the number of farms that are out there. The five companies or so that are part of the initiative, the SMI so far, McCain, Pepsi, etc., McDonald's, Mars, we've already got two million acres using regenerative agricultural techniques. The ambition is to go to, to 14 million over the next five to six years, and that still isn't enough. You know, so we're roughly, the penetration is about 15% uh, of uh, the globally using regenerative techniques, and it's only growing at 0.6 a year. So that's why the tests, you know, I'm, I'm great uh, saying, I think, is an experience trumps an argument. Right? So if you can demonstrate a geography, a country, a crop, and show farmers how to do it. And I would say there's probably three, three parts of that, and I will get back to your, your question, is, you know, first, you, you need to build awareness. Right? Is there awareness? And the, the awareness is very, very low, not only amongst business, but even amongst, amongst farmers of what really has to be done and the knowledge that, to do it. And then how do we build advocacy, you know, to, to help them get to those places? And then finally, we have to provide aid. You know, whether it's policy aid, financial aid, and that's my clever bridge back to your question, is part of that aid, maybe not very clever, but it is a bridge back, um, <laughs> is, uh, is, the, is the financial part you talk to. Everybody has to take their fair share. But you know, what we discovered is even through the supply chain, all the way from, say, Yara with the fertilizer inputs, all the way back to, say, McCain or, or Mars or Mondelez, even we can't do it because... To do this properly, as you say, they may need capital, they may need insurance, and right now there's no way to do that. So what we've been doing is working cross-collaboratively now to do exactly that. So you know, if we can get Lloyds to provide an insurance product that allows, takes first risk, that allows the farmer to get a bank loan for some of those things, and it allows companies to provide a multi-year agreement so that it's not just a one year, so you know, taking a 10 or a 15 or a 20 year long-term agreement to work together. That way, you're taking a lot of risk out for big business, as you call them, small businesses too, use farmers. Mm -hmm. You're taking risk out, you're priming the pump, and then you're also, if we do this properly, you're actually creating a new asset that companies can invest in. So we have a number of asset managers who would love to invest and diversify their portfolio in agriculture. And we were talking trillions here, trillions. But we have to get the insurance in place, we have to get the banks in place, we have to get the metrics in place so we can measure it. If you do that, do the carbon sequestration, that adds value. You can sell that either directly to a company as a crop that's buying or sell it on the, uh, on, on the carbon credits market. So the circle has to work together. That circle is broken. I think there's ways that we can smooth it out and make it work. And it's, you know, it's not about big business versus farmers or farmers versus big business. We're in this together. You know, their livelihood is my livelihood or my ex-livelihood. And uh, I think that's the focus we should have. And we should say that you know, I think farmers do want to do the right thing, but having those structures in place where they can get the loans, or they can get the equipment is key. Um, Charlie, how are McCain helping farmers do that? We're helping them through through training because that's absolutely critical when we talk about raising awareness and the best practices. But from a financial perspective, we recognize it's not one size fits all. So we've negotiated 
different financing schemes with different banks around the world, whether it's NatWest in the UK, Rabobank in the Netherlands, uh, Credit Agricole in France, where we backstop loans, pay the interest on farming equipment, and the farmer only has to repay the capital. But then there's the other end of it with contracts that we've entered with our farmers in France uh, and in Netherlands, where we've given them a long-term contract, but at the same time also given them a premium per ton if they farmed regeneratively. So that's one way to do it. And we feel very strongly about that because at the end of the day, as our founder said, if we don't get the agronomy right, nothing else matters. And we need to continue to give our farmers and our growers the right tools to get the agronomy right so that we can all succeed in the future. Susan, how do you see farmers responding again on the ground? Like, how are they changing their behavior? Are you seeing that happen yet? Or do you think it's something really for the future? I would say a little mix of both. I think what's important to acknowledge, and Grant alluded to it in his first statement, farmers are incredibly innovative and resilient people. And they're also very astute business people. They're not out utilizing the tools such as synthetic uh, fertilizers and pesticides where they're not needed. They're absolutely using those as tools to be profitable. What I think the win will be is instead of just simply looking at incentivizing certain best management practices, I think we have to go back and really look at how do we change the mindset? How do we empower and create the environment that allows farmers to do what they do best, which is being innovative, being resilient? How do we put the money back into their pocket, give them a better share of either the retail price um, or give them the tools necessary and create the capacity required for them to adopt some of these practices on a higher level? And that's where I think these partnerships can really shine because I think what holds them back is maybe this feeling that it's sort of a burden and, and everything is placed on their shoulders. And I think if as an industry and across sectors, that if we can build capacity so that they're able, and I'll use the um, incorporation of livestock as an example. Um, if you look at Manitoba specifically, I think uh, it's very well illustrated that the incorporation of livestock can certainly help step away from some fertilizer usage, um, as you've demonstrated. But there's simply not enough livestock to go around or the, the capabilities to get them there in a sustainable manner. Or if there were, we, we lack the slaughter capacity to manage that. So I think we need to start from the ground up and then build some of those capacities regionally in order to make, them, uh, make it easier for the growers to adopt those practices. A great story. Um around the integration of livestock on the farm of the future as an example. In speaking to our farm managers there when we visit the farm, we have cattle on the farm and that was a direct result of the fertilization going down. Um, when we first went to the cattle farmers and asked them if we can borrow their, their cattle for the farm, they thought we were crazy. And then when we returned the cattle, the cattle was in better shape than when they were given to us. So the next year, we had a lineup of cattle farmers knocking our door saying, can you please take my, take my cattle? So it's through partnerships like that that I think we can get to a much better place. That's a great example of an experience trumps an argument. That's right? right. They see the cattle, they look great, and that's that virtuous cycle versus the broken cycle we're currently in. And it's also an example of regenerative agriculture it isn't just about the soil, it's kind of about the wider food system, right? And about, perhaps, Susan, 
some more local or regional food systems. So I'm thinking of that livestock then going into local food streams and, you know, trying to, like you say, in mending the food system, making sure people can get fresh, healthy food locally to them. Is that part of the answer? Yeah, I think potentially it is. Yeah. Absolutely. I think uh, where there's a will, there's a way. And certainly the reason why I have a lot of hope that we will absolutely be able to move in this direction is because if there's anyone that will figure it out, it is a farmer. I think it's so interesting how we're talking about the whole food chain here, not just farmers, but the banks and the chemical companies. And a really important part of it is um, consumers. And we've seen the McCain advert, the halftime and the rugby um, in the UK, Charlie. How has McCain linked farmers with other part of the food chain? Why do you think that's so important? It's, um, it's absolutely important because we're not going to do this alone. Uh, and we need the partnership of everybody along the way. So it is through working with our farming partners, but also through organizations like the Sustainable Markets Initiatives and other organizations where we can work together collaboratively. This isn't about competitive advantage. This is really about a common will to get to a much better place with the food system. So working through those organizations, and then broadly speaking, it's incumbent on all of us to educate the consumer the same way we're educating our farmer partners on regenerative agriculture, on what it means to change the market dynamics so that they'll want to buy products that are regeneratively sourced as well. Yeah, we're seeing regenerative farming on our bags of chips. If, if nothing else is getting people talking about it and asking questions and hopefully we'll get some answers from this podcast. Susan, how do farmers feel about that? Um, does it make them feel more supported, do you think? Yeah, great question. I'm not sure whether they feel that. I, I think this is a fabulous conversation that we're having here. I'm not sure on the farm level that they're privy to that, that they're fully aware of all the work that's being done at higher levels collaboratively on their behalf. And I think hopefully we can do a better job of getting that information out to them so that they recognize that the burden is not solely on them, that this is absolutely an effort along the entire food supply chain in order to make this more doable for them on the ground level. Uh, Grant, you've talked about some massive figures. Was it 14 million acres of, of farmland being farmed regeneratively? Uh, two now was a target to get to 14 over the next few years. Just with the five or six companies as part of the SMI, the consumer And companies. how are you going to measure that? Is that going to be about, are you going to have new metrics for success? Or we've been talking a lot about here, I mean, Charlie, you were sort of saying it's about each farm, but if we're looking at the scale you're looking at and consumers are looking out there and seeing Mars and McCain talking about being regenerative, how can they judge that? Well, I just saw, you know, a good question is one you have an answer to. A great question is one you have a pamphlet for. <laughs> So I'd just like to congratulate you. That was a great question. <laughs> so what we have to do is to come together and get one metric set and um, don't give up progress looking for perfection. So let's, let's get some measures in place, and I think McCain's a great example of that. Once you've got the metrics in place, then, then the rest of the financial system you know, can, can get in behind it. So, you know... The 14 million sounds good, and we're proud of that, but it's not enough, right? That would take us roughly from 15% globally to 20, if we're lucky. And we need to be at 40 or 50 by 2030. So this is priming the pump to take it to other 
you know, there's a great analogy, which is first win somewhere, then win everywhere. So that 14 million is winning somewhere. And we're talking to countries, we're talking to major players to say, right, how can we demonstrate it here and then take that everywhere else? I mean, we, we have a phrase, we want to make it a no-brainer for the farmer. We want to make it nice and easy. And right now, it's super difficult. And all of us you know, have to participate in that to, to make it easy. And if we make it easy, we're going to get the benefit. I mean, let me just finish. And I think because it's not just about the farm. I mean, we're talking about massive climate change through greenhouse gas emissions. Agriculture can play a great, great part of sequestering carbon. Second thing is we need the quality of soil. I mean, everything says that anywhere between 10 and 100 times soil depletion from the way that we're currently farming. So we need better soil to feed the billions who are coming. So it's, it's not just about climate, it's about social change, it's about making sure we can feed the future. And uh, you know, I think that's why we're, we're here talking about it. And I'm not saying it's easy. I mean, you know, some of the young faces in the audience, you're the guys that are gonna have to make it happen. Because if we continue at the pace we're going at, which is less than a percentage point improvement every year, I'll be dead before we get to 50%. So I'd love to see that in my lifetime, and then you guys can take it to 100. How does that sound? <laughs> yep, Good luck that. with that. <laughs> I think what you're really saying is that all farming should be regenerative. Right, Susan? Do you think that that should be the case? Yeah. My Glad hope you said would, that. My hope would be that it becomes status quo. But I think I can't say it any more eloquently than what Grant has said. I think it's the, the system that is a bit broken and uh, needs to be changed. And uh, it gives me a lot of encouragement to see people like Grant and Charlie working on this because I do think it's very possible and it, uh, it will happen. And once that system itself changes, then I think you'll get this push. As soon as it becomes easier to adopt at the ground level, there will be widespread adoption. Growers want to do the right thing. It's in their own best interest. They're, they're doing a lot of the right things already. You know, again, just to reiterate, these are multi-generational family farms. They're sustainable in that they want to maintain that farm for their children and their grandchildren. So they're very motivated to do the right thing. And uh, they're already doing a lot of great things. So absolutely, if we make it easier and give them a system to work within that rewards them in a way that's appropriate to adopt these practices, absolutely it will happen. Can I just yeah, on that briefly? So I think thinking about it differently, right? I think we're thinking of, even, even in this discussion, I'm, I'm doing it myself, we're talking about farmers in isolation, then business in isolation. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, we, we've got to stop that. I've got to stop that because it's an ecosystem that we're in which we're operating, we're, we're interdependent on each other. And the only way this is going to work is if the ecosystem truly works well uh, and seamlessly. And uh, so I apologize if I've been putting them into those silos. That's, we should be thinking differently. And that's, again, one of the um, uh, definitions of uh, regenerative agriculture, isn't it? That it's um, an ecosystem approach to farming. Um, so the final question, the real danger that we're all trying to prevent here is over-farming to the point of extinction of um, wildlife, our own species. As a final thought, I'd like to ask each of our panellists, in a world without potatoes, what dish would you miss most? Uh, Susan first. 
politically correct answer is fries because I'm here representing the processed potato growers. But in my home kitchen, I would say latkes. Well, that's the correct answer then. <laughs> Grant. Uh, it's uh, a burn supper with haggis, tatties, and deeps. And if you don't know what that is, Google it because I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wee tartan bird. Um, and uh, Charlie. Uh, as a son of a Greek restaurateur, I'd have to say fries with feta cheese and oregano is what I'd really miss for sure. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, everyone. Um, and thanks to the audience for coming. Thank you. Well, I found that really interesting. It's not often that you get farmers food producers and big business in the same room. And yes, I have more questions, as I'm sure you all do. But I was really interested to hear about some of the possible solutions and experiments in regenerative farming that are giving us the option to farm in a more sustainable way. And I hope this gives farmers some confidence to talk to their neighbours about regenerative farming and uh, read about it, you know, argue about it, debate it, perhaps try some of the methods to reduce chemicals or introduce methods that might regenerate their soil, because at the end of the day, it's farmers who feed us. Thank you to our panel and to Goals House for hosting us. If you'd like to find out more about my guests for this episode and about regenerative agriculture, have a look at the links in the show notes. Next time, we'll be talking about technology. See you then. See you then.